Hey, welcome to Southland City Church. I'm Jason, if we haven't met. If this is your first time here, it's a really good day to be here for your first time because uh, we're going to talk a little bit about where we are and a little bit about where we're going. And I feel like if I was checking out something new, I kind of want to know, like, what's the state of things and where are they headed, right? So we're going to get into that for a little bit. And we're handing out some stuff to help you with that. Uh, we've been on this journey of somewhere between, like, dreaming about being a church to becoming a church. And as we've done that, uh, we're growing a little more and a little more into all the ways that we think a church should live our life together, right? So a church is certainly more than uh, being together in a room like this for an hour, although we think this is really important too. Uh, But at the same time, as we add and, and grow the different things that we do as a church, We want to stay true to some of our values. So like one of the things uh, that you've heard around here, let's try this. If you've been here before, you know that we like to talk about sushi, not, yeah, fish, not fish stew. Yeah, a couple of you with me there. Sushi, not fish stew, which is our uh, bizarre little way of talking about a purposeful simplicity. It's our way of saying that we think there's something really beautiful and important when you have something as good as the good news of Jesus, like that you don't want to wrap that up in too many layers. You want to let it sort of speak for itself. So we want to hold on to that while we grow into different ways of being a church together. So uh, our team has been working and dreaming and praying and thinking about how do we talk about our life as a church as we expand and do more things. And I'm going to take you through what we think is a really simple picture of where we are and where we're headed. And uh, basically three movements or impulses or ways that we as a church live out our calling as a community of grace and peace. So I'm going to take you through them. The first thing, uh, we already do it. You're in one right now gatherings. Uh, This is where uh, we find ourselves in a circle or a three-sided triangle, I suppose, like we are right now. And we come together uh, in a room uh, with people beyond just the people that we know personally. It's about being a part of something bigger than ourselves. It's about praying together. It's about uh, listening to the scriptures together. It's about meditating together. It's about greeting each other and being hospitable to every kind of person who walks through our doors and wonders that they could belong in a community like this. So we do gatherings. We've been doing gatherings. That's what this is. Uh, Sometimes we like to say uh, practices, not performances which is another thing that we value and believe in, and that's what happens in a space like this. We come together less to observe a performance and more to be a part of practicing this way of uh, thinking, living, praying, and telling the story of Jesus together. So that's gatherings. Uh, We've been doing them, we're going to keep doing them, but a couple of notes about them. So uh, starting, uh, or first of all, on August 6th and 8th, we're actually not going to do any gatherings. So that Sunday and Tuesday night, We're not going to be here at Studebaker 112 for gatherings. Instead, this is a great chance uh, for you to go to the South Bend City Church Collective on Facebook. Sunday morning, you want to host a brunch in your home. You want to, like, get a reservation for 72 people at your favorite breakfast place. That's great. You could go on the collective, and you could just let our community know what you're doing and invite people. And if you need to know who's coming, you could make them RSVP right there in the comment section. On Tuesday night, like this, you could uh, book the back room at Fiddler's. You could have a backyard thing. We're not mandating any of that. Obviously, it's just up to whatever you might want to do to create some communal space there. But that's for anyone to get their hands on and invite others into it. We're doing this for a couple of reasons. One, uh, we're about to start a series after that about rhythms of life, rhythms of energy and work and all of that. And as a church, we want to be careful that as a church, we collectively try to practice and embody the, the health and the holiness that we would challenge each other to live in individually right? And if I found out that there was some way of like exerting yourself that you did every single week of the year without stop, I might sit you down and say, hey, at some point you should take a break. For a minute you should breathe deep because like you're trying to turn yourself into a machine and you're not a machine. 
And quite frankly, churches can get into that same kind of rhythm, right, where we just never, ever stop. And so we're just shutting things down on the 6th and 8th. I've had several people tell me this is the stupidest decision I've made as a leader. <laughs> They're like, you got momentum, man. Don't stop the momentum. And I'm like, that's exactly the kind of script that gets into all of our heads and where we're all exhausted and worn out and beaten down, right? So we're going to do that, um, especially because we do have some amazing volunteers in this church. Many of them serve every single week and haven't had a week off since we got weeks going like in October. And I'm just, I'm really excited about saying, let's just take a break for a week and find other ways to connect with God and each other. And then we'll be back the following week on August 13th and 15th. But on Sunday, August 13th, uh, a new shift is happening. We're going to go to two services on Sunday morning. So uh, when we were meeting at the Brick, we met on Wednesday nights and all together we were a community of about 130 people. Uh, on a weekly basis. And then we went to Century Center and added kids ministry programming on Sunday mornings and Tuesday nights. We went from about 130 to about 250 people on a weekly basis. And then last week we had like 405 that week in July. And we're not, yeah, that's what, what we're excited, here's what we're excited about. Like we're excited that people who need a home are finding one, right? Like we're not the kind of church lead team that like sits around like, yes, get all the people. You know what I mean? Like that's, it's not an obsession of ours to grow as fast as possible with numbers, but I'll tell you what is an obsession of ours, that we make room for everyone who wants to be a part of this family. And like, for example, this room might feel good, but ask some of our kids volunteers what one of the kids' rooms feels like when the number of kids that show up with that many adults walk in, and you might also want to have two services pretty quickly. So that's why we're going to that. Uh, we want to help you keep track of everything coming up. So we gave you this uh, piece of paper with the gathering calendar. You could put it on your refrigerator, you could staple it to your forehead, or do whatever it takes to keep track of what's coming up around the corner. Uh, but that's gatherings, and that's the first of three movements in the life of our church that I want to tell you about. Second movement I want to tell you about is tables. Now, when we say tables, we mean tables, quite literally. Uh, this is a, a new plan that we're developing to just make sure that on a much more frequent basis, hopefully like twice a month for most of us, we get to be a part of, of a relational space actually around a table, sharing a meal with other people and growing toward grace and peace together. Now, uh, if you've had some church experience in the past, you might have all of these assumptions about what that might look like or not look like. Let me just encourage you to try to kind of put those assumptions on hold because what we want to do is create a really natural and organic space for us to connect around tables, for food and drink and conversation, for us to be able to do that for a season of time um, before we sort of take a break and realign and let you find a new place to do that if you'd like to. Uh, so f f tables literally means like around a table. And here we're going to uh, try to embody another thing that we talk about a lot, which is fields, not factories. It's ironic for a church that's in a factory. I get that. But fields, not factories. And wh what we mean by that is simply that like you are not something that can be manufactured. Your soul is not something that can be manufactured. Your life can't be manufactured. The work that God wants to do in you cannot be manufactured. And what we are becoming as a church cannot be manufactured. But it can be cultivated. And the difference between those two things, like you manufacture, you think you can just do whatever timeline you have in mind, right? You can make it go as fast as you want to make it go. You can control all the inputs and all the outputs. And we deceive ourselves into thinking that we're the masters of the whole process. And we're not. But you stand in a field with a farmer for a minute and you'll discover there are things that we can take responsibility for. And sometimes we have to grow more patient. Sometimes we have to deal with unexpected weather. But if we are patient and if we are persistent and we keep walking, we can actually grow. And that's part of what shapes our approach to tables. You're going to hear a lot more about tables in a couple weeks, but I just want you to know right now, gatherings, tables, these are two of the movements that are part of our life that we're shaping for the fall. And then here's the third one, gatherings, tables, and the third one is streets. 
Uh, streets, uh, like I know this, I live in a River Park neighborhood, and so uh, my house is like right next to my neighbor's house, but I walk out my front door, and right there where I come to the end of, of my personal property is the street right in front of me, right? We do block parties in River Park. A lot of neighborhoods in South Bend do block parties, right? We did the belly burst, which was quite literally on the streets. So streets is a, a heading, if you will. It's sort of a way of thinking about all the ways that South Bend City Church is going to move beyond our own space into our community space. All the ways that we're going to leave our turf and meet our community on community turf so we can love the city, serve the city, and eventually expressions of that will probably go beyond the city. But streets is the way that we're going to talk about all that sort of stuff, and you'll be hearing more about a couple of opportunities under that heading right around the corner too. So we hope uh, this maintains some simplicity for us, some clarity. Um, if somebody asks, like, what's it like to be a part of South and City Church? It's pretty simple. We do gatherings, we do tables, and we do streets. And uh, we'll use that grid to help us make decisions as we move forward about what to say yes and no to. But all of this uh, is worth everything if it helps us grow as a community of grace and peace. So that's why we're going to invest in it, right? Um, I want to give you a chance, if you'd like to make an offering, uh, before we get together to pray and sing a little more. No pressure at all. Uh, no pressure at all. But if this is a way that you want to participate, you're welcome to do that. Uh, we have online giving, so if you pass the basket, we just assume that you gave $10,000 online last night. So it's great, right? You look really generous. Um, and one more thing I want to tell you now that we're going to do a little bit later. Today we're going to come to Jesus' table um, later in our service. Uh, we're going to come to the bread and the cup. And if you're wondering, like, if you're welcome to be a part of this, let me tell you how we think about that. If you want to be at the table with Jesus, we want you at the table with Jesus, period. You say, well, what do I need to believe? If you want to be at the table with Jesus, we would love to have you at the table of Jesus, um, that's how we understand that because we read the Gospels and it seems to be Jesus' attitude toward everyone who wants to be there with him. So we'll do that. Uh, when we do that, we'll be in these corners uh, over there and over there. And at that time, you're going to come forward and rather than taking bread, um, which mimics the kind of posture that I know I approach a lot of my life with, like take, 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 get what I can get, uh, rather you'll simply open your hand, which is a really beautiful symbol of, of some vulnerability to say that I'm simply going to open my hand and trust that what I need will be given, right? So you'll go forward and you'll open your hand and somebody's going to take a piece. I say bread. I'm not sure it's legally bread because it, it has nothing that bread has in it, right? But the good news is it's gluten-free, nut-free, dairy-free, egg-free, and you don't have to, it can't do anything to you is all I'm saying, okay? So you'll hold your hand open. Somebody will put uh, that bread there and they'll remind you the body of Christ broken for you. And I would just encourage you to hear those words really deeply. And then uh, you'll step over and somebody will hold out a cup and they'll remind you the blood of Christ shed for you. And then you can, you can uh, grab that little piece of bread and dip it in the cup. And then you can take and eat and go back to your seat. And just know um, that Jesus welcomes you at his table. And we are so glad to welcome you at Jesus' table. And we're all um, moving toward grace and peace together. So that's, uh, that's it for the night. We're going to do a little more teaching after we pray. We're going to jump into a lot of good stuff. Uh, but Dan, why don't you come back up and take us into what's next? So in that place where you say, God, things are a mess. I need something beautiful brought out of this. I, for some of us, like, you get to that place of desperation or need, and it's like a, a natural move to turn to the scriptures. Uh, for others, maybe it had been in another season of your life to do that, but maybe you've not been there in a long time. Or maybe that's never been part of your life or experience to do that. But wherever you're at, uh, we, the last few weeks, have been talking about this book and, like, what to do with it. And we've observed that a lot of us need something like a rehab with this book. It might be the way that you relate to this book needs some fresh life or some fresh help or something like that. 
and so that's a good word for what you're looking for. Or it might be that you've just unfortunately been observing or even on the receiving end of Christians or Christian leaders or pastors or church culture that have had a bad way of working with this book and maybe using it against you or feeling like it's not full of life or helping you at all. And so for that reason, maybe rehab is a good word for this. Uh, But we've been through that for the last few weeks. So we started a few weeks ago just observing this simple but really important thing, which is before we figure out what this book is saying to us in this time and place, it might help to do a little bit of work figuring out what it meant for the time and place in which it was written. That it's possible to commit malpractice with this book. It's possible to really miss what this book is saying. And especially if you're listening to somebody who stands up like on a stage like this or who has a microphone and talks as if they're in a position to tell you what this means for us today. If you don't get the sense that they've done any work to understand what it meant for its original time and place, like maybe be a little suspicious when they start telling you what it means for our time and place, right? So that was the first week we talked about context. And then the second week we talked about how this book, it comes out of community. That it didn't like quite literally just drop from heaven and land at Family Christian Bookstore a year ago, right? That it came out of community, the Israelites and the church. These texts are, are written out of community from stories that are told in community. These texts are collected by the community into the book that we call the Bible. And uh, they're best read in community, and they call us to be with each other in community too, right? So that was week two. And then last week we talked about tension in the text. That if you read this book honestly with your eyes open, you're going to discover that there are some tensions inside that are hard to resolve, some different ideas that seem to push against each other about what God is like or what the world is like or what it means to be human in this world with God. And that sometimes we should maybe resist the urge to immediately resolve all of that and see, in fact, what's happening in the tension, the way it pulls you in, moves you, grabs you, works on you. We talked about tension last week. This week, though, I want to acknowledge that like all of that work, like context and ancient history and communal history and tensions in the text, like you can get to a place where you're kind of lost in the weeds a little bit. You you can get to a place where in your wrestling, in your digging in, sometimes I've had moments with this book where like, I'm just like, "Ah, I feel like I've kind of lost the plot a little bit. And so I want to talk today about like, at the end of the day, there there is a center of gravity to this book. There's a clarity that emerges from this book. And as a community, we want to help each other see that clarity, hear that clarity, feel that center of gravity in the book. So uh, to unpack that, uh, let's talk about a conversation that some people are having a long time ago where they're all sort of self-positioning as the arbiters of what's true and what's good, as the, as the interpreters who are the ones who are supposed to stand up and say who's in and who's out, as the authorities who are the, the right people to listen to about the way that the world should be organized and whether you fit into that organization or not. And all these uh, religious leaders, they have their different positions, their different ways of working things out. And Jesus speaks to a number of these worship leaders, worship leaders, religious leaders, in the book of John, chapter 5. And Jesus says something that should knock us over with, like, the audacity of it. He says this, You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. He says, you know this book inside and out, but you don't know the first thing about it. Like, you've been poring over its pages, but you missed the fact that all of this was pointing to me. And today as we wrap up Bible Rehab, before we come to Jesus' table, we just want to say this very clear thing, which is the center of gravity of this book, the thing this book is doing is it's pointing us to Jesus. 
And that's really important if you feel like you've lost the plot, if you feel like you're in the high weeds and you're not sure how to put the pieces together. We believe this book is pointing us to Jesus. It's interesting. He says, you've poured over the scriptures, but you've gotten something wrong with it. It's almost like you can have the right thing, this book, right? You can have the right thing, but you can come to it doing the wrong thing and end up in the wrong place. You could have the right thing. You could have this book. You could know it inside and out. You could have this thing memorized, but you could do the wrong thing with it and end up in the wrong place. So we need to talk about this as a Christ-centered text. Uh, there's another uh, group of people in the Scriptures, and they're not so much like built up in the religious ego. They're not starting to position themselves as authority figures. Uh, they're despondent, depressed, afraid. They're confused. They don't know what's going on because for three years, these people had walked with Jesus for three years, they had seen Jesus heal people. They had had meals with Jesus. They had heard his teachings. For three years, they were riding this wave of enthusiasm that something beautiful like never before had been seen was happening here. Like the scripture uh, that Angela read as we were praying together from Isaiah where Jesus says, this is happening in me, the spirit of God on me, the good news coming through me, the poor being made rich through me, like the hungry being fed through me, the captives being released through me. They believed that because they saw all these examples of it for three years. And then that beautiful, compassion Telling story runs into a dead end at the cross, and they're terrified. I mean, I think they're sad because um, they have this affection for Jesus, because they love Jesus. I also think they're afraid because they're part of his movement, and the persecution came for him and hung him on a cross, which would make you think they're coming for you next, right? So they're depressed and afraid, and I can't help but wonder if they have like a very, very tragic and deep feeling of a Charlie Brown running toward the football that Lucy holds. Right? Because like, their hopes are getting built up, built up. And then at the, at the last moment, right when things are, are cresting, they see uh, Jesus on a cross and they don't know what to do. So this is uh, from Luke chapter 24. Let me, uh, uh, let me read this to you. Uh, this, is, uh, this is, by the way, this is just after Jesus has actually been resurrected. But almost nobody's figured that out yet, okay? Now that same day, two of them, these disciples of Jesus, are going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they're talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things, Jesus uh, himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. And he asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? I, I like it when Jesus plays coy, you know what I mean? And they stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he said. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what's more, it's the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they'd seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, at which point they said, I told you so. Oh, sorry, that wasn't in there. Okay. But they did not see Jesus. And he, see to, he said to them, How foolish you are, and how slow to believe all the prophets had spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. And Moses and all the prophets is a way of basically saying the Hebrew scriptures, the whole book for them at the time, like it was all pointing to Jesus. 
Now, let's work this out a little bit. This is really important for us as a church and for each of us as we try to grow in this journey toward God. It's really important. It's important as a sort of um, interpretive tool, right? Like, like when we are wrestling with the scriptures, when we are trying to make sense of what's being revealed about God in the scriptures, what is God like in the scriptures, it's helpful to have this interpretive tool. Like, because if you and I are wrestling with what we read about God here in the scriptures, and like, for example, if you hear me coming to a picture of God that doesn't look like Jesus, you should call foul on me. We, we should call that out. If, 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 if we are wrestling with the complexity of this text, with the different stories in this text, and we end up letting our interpretation take us to a place where we get to a God who doesn't look like Jesus, we should call a timeout and go back and do the math again, right? This is like uh, when I got to high school and the math got hard, like pre-calc, and I got uh, my textbook for the year, and I was one of those nerds that actually went home and started looking at my textbooks ahead of time, right? They were my friends, you know? So, like, so I'm there, and I remember I get this math textbook home, and I flipped it through, through, through the book, and I, at the end, there were answers to the problems. And I'm thinking, I got the teacher's book by mistake. This is going to be the easiest year of my life, right? I've got all the goods here. Of course, what I didn't realize was this is one of those classes where, like, the math is thick enough and deep enough that you've got to do all the work and show all the layers. And point being, it can get complicated in there. So to make sure that we don't get lost in the high weeds, that we don't lose the plot, they give you the answer at the back. And if you get to a different answer, what do you do? You go back and check your work, Right? As we talk about tension and context and community, as we say this is a book that we can wrestle together and I want to know what it means to you and maybe you want to know what it means to me and we walk together, there's going to be different voices and perspectives, but we're going to keep holding each other accountable to a vision of God that looks like Jesus. We're going to keep helping each other see that, keep helping each other hear that this is a book that's about the God revealed in Jesus. This is, um, this is helpful also when I lose my way, not so much like intellectually, not interpretively, but like in, in my heart and in my life. The center of gravity is important for me to understand. Like when I look at the very first pages of Genesis, like we did just a little while ago, and we read that the very first thing the scriptures say about being human is that we're supposed to get our hands on the raw materials of this world and make something beautiful out of it that we're meant to bear the image of God in this world. This Jesus center helps me because there are so many times when I get my hands on the raw materials and what I make is way less than beautiful. Where I get my hands on something, I have influence over something, I have power over something, and then I look back and I realize that what I have made falls far short of beautiful, right? And I want to repent, I want to return to that calling, I want to grow up into that way of life where I can actually live out that image, but I don't always know what it looks like so the move there is to go to Jesus and ask if Jesus is the image of the invisible God. If, if there we see this thing totally revealed, then maybe we keep learning from Jesus what that's supposed to look like for us, right? This is helpful for me when I, um, when I, I, I wonder about even the kinds of practices or the way of life that could get me to grace and peace. Um, that, that if I keep looking at Jesus, I discover a, a way of being human in the world, even when you're betrayed or lonely or abandoned, even when you are tired, worn out, sweaty, exhausted, that there's a way of life that I can learn from Jesus, that Jesus is the center of gravity in everything the scriptures are pointing us to. Um, this is why if you've ever been to our website when you were really bored and you read the fine print, you might have looked at the sort of description of who we are and what we're about as a community. And we say there's something uh, very considered and thought out. Um, we say there that we trust the scriptures as they point us to Jesus. 
We trust the scriptures as they point us to Jesus. Because you can have the right thing and use it for the wrong thing and get the wrong thing. Right? It's exactly what Jesus was telling those experts in the Bible back in the day. You can have the right thing and use it for the wrong thing and get the wrong thing. And so we want to remind each other, we trust these scriptures, but we know that their purpose is to get us to Jesus. Um, to get us to the presence of Christ, to get us to the teachings of Christ, to the way of living that Jesus embodies for us, to get us to the grace of Christ for all the ways that we have failed, to get us to the future that Jesus is pointing us to. We want to keep going there again and again. Um, so this isn't to say that like he's the Sunday school answer for every conundrum. The way that Jesus is the center of this text is something we'll wrestle with sometimes. The way that Jesus is drawing us into the meaning of this text is something that we might debate and we might disagree. And we might come to points where we just have very different ways of understanding how that works, but we're going to keep coming back to Jesus to see how that comes together, right? Uh, and one point, too, um, that brings us to the table, which is the first uh, couple hundred years of the church, this thing was breaking into the world that we would point out today and say that is exactly what it's supposed to be. That's what we want it to be. What I mean is, like, power was breaking into the world to heal things. Courage was breaking in the, into the world to confront things that were broken. Um, you have this totally unempowered group of people in a part of the empire that doesn't matter at all. They're disrespected by the Jews because they're seen as dangerous heretics who have left the true faith. They're disrespected by the Romans because they're seen as disruptors, as people who don't respect the status quo that keeps the empire working. So they're disrespected by everyone. They don't have a lot of money. They don't have a lot of cultural capital. They don't have the identity. They don't have the geography. They don't have any of the things that you would think you would need to change the world, and yet they changed the world. They flipped everything on its head. Everywhere they went, the world was changing. And here's the curious thing. We're talking about Christians, followers of Jesus, who are like living the Jesus life on steroids, right? This is like nuclear-powered Christianity, and they're doing this during a couple of hundred years where they they don't have one particular thing. Do you know what it is? This. Now hang with me for a second, okay? I have uh, my nice leather-bound Bible. I like to read it every day. It helps me process things. And then I have the internet and I have my phone so I can do it there too, right? I have, you have, we all have just like instantaneous, ubiquitous, everywhere access to these texts, right? Well, for the first couple hundred years for the church, First of all, the Hebrew Scriptures, the Old Testament, if there happens to be a synagogue nearby, and if they let you in in spite of the fact that you're one of those Christians that they were trying to kill, you might be able to, like, open the scroll there and at headquarters sort of read the text for a moment, perhaps, right? But you also, you don't, you don't have the written text of the New Testament in any form that you can get your hands on, especially not right away. 40 A.D., 50 A.D., most of this in the New Testament isn't even written yet. Now, I'm not saying this to demote the Bible. If you've been here for more than a minute, you know we love the Bible. Uh, nobody gets to challenge Southland City Church on whether we soak deeply in the waters of Scripture. I'm not saying it to demote the Bible. I'm, I'm saying it to elevate the experience of Jesus that empowered the church. The, like, like the direct experience of Jesus that broke into their hearts and turned things upside down inside them and then sent them out into the world to turn things up and upside down all around them. Like, 
Just chew on that. Some of you are giving me some concerted looks on your face. Maybe we haven't thought about this before. This book, the way you and I have it today, it wasn't with them for the first days of the movement of the church that changed the world. And yet God was fashioning the church to be exactly what he wanted it to be and fashioning followers of Jesus to be alive and and brave and dangerous in the world. And that tells me, um, as much as I love and trust this book, and as much as this book, as much as having it with me every day has changed my life, it makes me think, how much more is there to Jesus? Just the presence of Christ, the experience of Christ. And one of the ways the church came to that experience and that encounter over and over again was the table. Which is why we're we're ending this Bible rehab series um, at the table. Which is why we're coming to the body and the blood to the bread and the cup to remember and encounter and trust Jesus who is the center of gravity in the scriptures who stands above everything else that we think we know about God uh, who's calling us to make us brave out into the world to bring grace and peace to places that need it so we're going to come to the table today and remember Jesus Um, we've already talked through how we'll do this we'll kind of open it up and when we're ready you're just welcome to get out of your seat whenever you'd like to but maybe maybe you as you come to the table you want to think about where you've been for the last few weeks if you've walked with us through the scriptures if you walked with us through some of the questions or the challenges maybe you just want to think about where that's taken you and where you are today if you felt a little lost in the high weeds if you feel like you've lost the plot a little bit um, if perhaps you've been one of those who was afraid or despairing, feeling lost. If perhaps you're somebody like me that like, has moments in your history where you were one of the ones who had all the answers and you're not very proud of that anymore, been with you. Wherever you've been, wherever you are today, maybe you want to bring that to mind as you come to Jesus' table. So let me invite those who are going to serve you to come forward, and I'll serve them, and, uh, and then I'll pray. And then the table will be open to all of us. As they come forward, let me remind you, that uh, Jesus, well, oh wait, I have one more verse I want to show you guys. This is the good one. You guys can stay here. Um, It's interesting that uh, that Luke 24 experience that they have with Jesus, it ends. Let me show you one more verse from that. Jesus, uh, with those friends who he was walking with, um, who didn't know it was Jesus with them, he's at the table with them, and he took bread, and he gave thanks, and he broke it, and he began to give it to them. And then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. It's as if um, somehow in this meal, something happened to open their eyes. And that's important for us because some traditions have a way of saying something very particular happens in this bread and this cup. Some traditions have a way of saying nothing cool happens here. It's just a symbol, get over it, like demoting it. I don't know why we do that. Um... But we trust the scriptures, but we also trust that in this meal, Christ has come to meet us. And so if you want to be at the table with Jesus, please come today. It's the body of Christ broken for you. And the blood of Christ shed for you. It's the body of Christ broken for you. And the blood of Christ shed for you. It's the body of Christ broken for you and the blood of Christ shed for you. The body of Christ broken for you. And the blood of Christ shed for you. Now will you pray with me before we come to the table? 
Loving God, we thank you uh, for Jesus. We thank you that when you called us to be bearers of your image, and when we failed bearing that image, you didn't give up, but you sent your son, the very image of you, that we'd be forgiven for all the ways that we failed to bear the image, and that we would be taught how to live in that creative power again. We thank you for Jesus, who the law was pointing to. Those verses uh, in the scriptures that we don't understand or perhaps we're concerned about or confused about, the, those places where uh, it seems like it's rule after rule after rule, somehow they were pointing to Jesus. And in him, we see freedom, we see life. We thank you for Jesus who prayed the Psalms, not just the good ones, but the bad ones. For Jesus who prayed and cried out and said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That we'd never have to wonder if you are with us in the moments where we are all alone, broken, despairing, rejected, afraid. We thank you for Jesus who came and walked on earth, for Jesus who shared meals with his friends, with every kind of sinner and stranger. We thank you for Jesus who died for all the ways that we have fallen short, and we thank you for Jesus who is resurrected, that we could know the same kind of new life. And we thank you for the table that you call us to. So we pray tonight, God, that this would be for us the body and blood of Jesus. And we long to meet you in the scriptures, and we long to meet you in this meal. And we long to meet you in this community, and we long to meet you in the world waiting for us, calling us out there to be brave. So now, God, as we come to communion, to Eucharist, we say thank you, thank you, thank you. In Jesus' name. And we all said, amen. So before we go, a couple of things. Uh, there's some serious snack potential waiting for you on the table right around the curtain. So if you want to hang out, please do. If it's your first time here and you came alone, um, check this out. If you've been here more than once, you are a... Let's never get tired of that, okay? That's awesome. Yeah, let's never get tired of it because there's always new people who need to know that they're welcome here. So if, if you're new here and you don't even know anyone, stick around. We would love to get to know you. You grab a snack. I sense that some of us are a little tired tonight. That's A-okay. We can be tired together. It's fine. We can just collapse on the concrete and eat some Cheetos, okay? Um, so that's going on. Uh, the, the sheet that you have that has the calendar coming up, you might have noticed already when the sermon got boring what's on the backside. Which is, um, which is like a recommended reading list, like some other uh, ways that you could dig further into these questions about the scripture. Uh, just a note about that, like we are so hardwired these days for deciding who's in and who's out and which side everybody's on. And so there's like different perspectives listed there. And it, it's just so broken that we like live in a moment where we're all wondering what camp everybody's in and then trying to decide if they're good or bad for that. So there's a, there's a variety of perspectives there. You might read one of those books and think, I can't believe my pastor recommended that. Welcome to South Bend City Church, you know, like, um, but that's, that's all there for you. Um, uh, let me say this too. Uh, if you walked in and you had an especially dark week, maybe it was dark just because of what your life is like right now or what you're dealing with, or maybe it was dark because uh, in the news uh, we had uh, somebody taking his own life with Chester Bennington from Lincoln Park, and maybe in some way you relate to that darkness. If that's you, I just want to tell you, you belong here. Don't you ever doubt it. You belong here on planet Earth, and you belong in this community, and this is absolutely a place where you could name that darkness, and nobody would run away from you or judge you for it. A lot of us would say, yeah, we've been there too. Let's walk together. 
Um, and by the way, I think had you been walking the earth 2,000 years ago, had you met Jesus in the flesh, you would discover that he's a very, very good friend to all of us who walk through dark seasons like that. Or maybe um, you've had a really hopeful week. Maybe you were full of dreams and, and just big ideas about how wonderful the world is. I also think if you had met Jesus in the flesh, you would find him to be an incredible friend, that he'd be cheering for you, that he would be saying, yes, yes. There's this thing that comes from uh, Pope John Paul II when he addressed a bunch of students at a conference uh, several years ago, and I just want to close by reading this to you. He says, it's Jesus that you seek when you dream of happiness. He's waiting for you when nothing else you find satisfies you. He is the beauty to which you are so attracted. It's he who provoked you with that thirst for fullness that will not let you settle for compromise. It's he who urges you to shed the masks of a false life. It's he who reads in your heart your most genuine choices, the choices that others try to stifle. It's Jesus who stirs in you the desire to do something great with your lives, the will to follow an ideal, the refusal to allow yourselves to be ground down by mediocrity, the courage to commit yourselves humbly and patiently to improving yourselves and society, making the world more human and more fraternal. So whatever else you've heard in the last few weeks, I hope you hear us say it's Jesus at the center of these scriptures and at the center of our community, and we think that's really good news. And uh, we like to often end with a benediction, and so I'll say to you tonight, grace and peace be with you. I love you guys. I'll see you soon.